Hi, everyone, and welcome back to How to College for First Gens, our podcast where we get together with fellow first gens to have discussions on their journey to and through college. My name is Norma Torres Mendoza, and I will be your host for the day. On today's episode, we will be discussing letters of recommendation. Now, I know that many of you are getting ready to apply to either undergraduate or graduate schools. So we've constructed this episode to be helpful for both audiences. We will begin with our high school student, Sofia, who will talk about how she went about getting her letters of recommendation and why they're so important. And then we will conclude with Eric Diaz, a good friend of mine, who has dedicated the last couple of years of his life to help first-generation college students apply for graduate school. Eric will give us some really good tips on how to manage the process and how to strategize on who and how to ask. So stay tuned and let's get started. Hi, Sophia. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Hello, I'm doing great. I'm super excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Sophia, tell the audience a little bit about yourself, where you're from, where you are in your college journey, what you're up to nowadays. I am from South Texas, but I grew up in Mexico. Uh, I came to the U.S. in my freshman year of high school. I am right now a freshman in college at Michigan State University. I am majoring in communication, and I am part of the Honors College. Congratulations. So tell me a little bit about coming to the U.S. for high school. Tell me, what was that experience like? For me, at first, really hard because I didn't know any English. I didn't know how to write, how to speak, how to read. And that journey was a little hard. But with time, I really learned everything. I had awesome teachers. They really helped me. And some of my friends also did help me. That is incredible. So you're telling me that when you came to the U.S. in high school, you didn't speak a word of English. And here you are four years later in a university in all English speaking classes. That's correct. I am very proud of myself. Well, Sofia, so let me ask you, you are a first generation college student. So tell me a little bit about how you first learned that you would be among the first one in your family to take on this journey. Well, I came to the U.S. for what is called the American Dream. I came for my education and I learned that I was a first generation student since the moment I came because my parents didn't have that opportunity they are still living in Mexico, and I am here pursuing higher education, and I am proud to be the first one in my family to attend and in the future graduate from college. So what do your parents say to you? Do you feel a lot of pressure because you're the first one, or do you feel a lot of support, or maybe a little bit of both? I feel a little bit of both, but most um, support. They have always supported me with my decisions in my education. I remember like since the moment I came to the U.S., I told them that I wanted to go out of state for college and they were proud. They were excited. Well, let's talk a little bit more about that journey. So for the college process, there's many components, right? For you to apply, there are essays, there are tests called the SAT, there are letters of recommendation. So my first question to you is, how did you stay organized with all the different components that came with your college application? I started with all my college application process about in junior year. 
I had a class called RTTC. My teacher gave us a little bit about what it was to apply for college. And we started like my personal statement, my resume. I started everything in junior year so that in senior year, I was able to have everything ready. I just had to edit some stuff, but it wasn't like I had to do everything in one year. It took approximately two years. And for those who don't know what RTTC is, do you know what it stands for? It stands for Road to and Through College. So basically, you have a class that helps you stay organized with your essays. They basically tell you, okay, here's what's next in the process. And it sounds like a really interesting class. Did you have a binder for every university? How did you how did you keep it all different and separated? Some colleges did ask for my personal statement, but we write the same thing for every college we apply. So I actually applied for about 10, 11 colleges and the resume is the same thing. We send that to every college we apply to. And I really didn't have a binder for every college, but I did have a binder with all my stuff together so that it was easier at the moment we had to submit our application. Got it. I see. So actually, one of the best practices out there is to do maybe things a little bit different. So instead of sending the same essay across, we recommend all of our listeners to really get to know the university and really tailor their essays to that university. Because obviously, your personal story is your personal story, right? But you always want to add like that extra flavor on this is how and what I'm going to do with your university. And obviously, for some of them, they ask for supplemental essays. And that's where you can add your extra flavor, if you will. Yes, that's correct. Um, so some universities did ask me for extra questions, like specifically for that college, and I, I did them. So today we're actually going to talk about your letters of recommendation, because that is what the topic is. So first of all, can you just describe to our high school students, what is a letter of recommendation and why is it important in the college process? A letter of recommendation is when your teachers write a little bit about yourself, they have the opportunity to see you uh, progress in their classes, to progress in high school. And by the time you apply to college, they give you how you were as a student, how hard you worked in class, and they have the opportunity to explain to colleges who you are. Exactly. So it's another dimension of who you are. Like you said, it's like another window, right? So if we think about it, the college application is a summary of all the different components of of you that will aggregate to the admission officer and give them an idea of who you are. So the personal statement, as you mentioned, is you telling your own story. The letter of recommendation is somebody else talking about you and who you are. And like you mentioned, that progression is super important. Did you get letters of recommendation just from teachers or were there also community members, maybe church people or anyone else outside outside of your school? I just got two letters of recommendation from two of my teachers. One of my teachers was my English teacher and the other one was actually my RTTC teacher She taught me biology in freshman year also. So usually you have teachers, but you also want to have different 
people in the community. For example, if you volunteer in like a soup kitchen, right, you want them to talk about how you want to give back to the community, right? So when I was applying to college, I volunteered for four years in a soup kitchen here in Houston. And I had the person that was running that soup kitchen write me a letter of recommendation. Also, I was extremely involved with my church. And I also had the priest write a letter of recommendation because I had been an altar server since I was, I don't know, eight years old. So what that showed to the university was commitment. So usually you want to send letters of recommendation that show different aspects of your life. So not just the teacher aspect of it, but the extracurriculars, the, the external community and any sports that you're involved with. So how did you decide who to ask for a letter of recommendation? For my school, I didn't really get to choose who was going to write my letters of recommendation, but I was glad that one of my favorite or one of my best teachers wrote them. They were really the best teachers I ever had. They really appreciated my work and how I was in high school. So tell me more about your relationship with this individual. So what were they able to say in your letter of recommendation? One of my letters of recommendation was written by one of my freshman year teachers. As I said before, I didn't know any English by the time I got to the U.S. So she was one of the teachers that did speak Spanish, but she never talked to me in Spanish because she wanted me to get used to the language, get used to hear it every day. And in that class, I really put hard work because I was used to be one of the first students of the class, like the first place in Mexico. And it was the teacher that really pushed me to be the person I am today. She really motivated me to work hard and to achieve all of my goals. And the other uh, letter of recommendation was written by one of my junior year teachers. By that time, I was able to speak a little bit more English. So she saw also my growth in my junior year. And yeah, she was also one of the best teachers and one of the best English teachers I ever had. So this is really interesting in many fronts because on the one side, you attend a very particular school, right? It's a charter school where basically they dictate who you should get a letter of rec. Most students who are in public schools, they get to choose who this, these people are. But for you, it was chosen. But I am guessing it was chosen very strategically because, as you mentioned, on the one hand, they pick somebody who could speak about your growth, who could say, hey, Sophia kept on working every day. The journey wasn't easy for her, but she kept on showing up. She kept on persevering and she has grit. And universities love to hear that, right? And then on the other hand, to make sure that there was no question at all about your English speaking ability, they probably, that's why they chose an English teacher, right? Because you you obviously want to show the university that you have mastered the language. But additionally, your major is communications, right? Yes, that's correct. So maybe the English teacher was chosen also. It feeds very well into the communications piece. So let me ask you something. If you could go back in time, knowing what you know today, would you have chosen someone differently? Would it have been the same people? Anybody else that you probably would have asked for a letter of recommendation? To be honest, 
I wouldn't choose anyone else. They were the perfect match for my letters of recommendation, and I am very grateful for that. So tell me, how did you prepare them to write this letter of recommendation? Did you bring them your personal statement, your resume? What was at their disposal so that they could have the whole picture together? It was more about my grades and how I was in their class, the student I was, how involved I was in their class, my participation in their class, and how I helped others even when I didn't know sometimes how to do the work or stuff like that. So they relied on your grades. And then did you did they have access to your personal statement and your resume? Yes, they did. I actually, I think my counselor gives them the all my work, like my, my personal statement and my resume, so they can have like a guide for that letter of recommendation. That is a perfect thing that you just said, Sofia, because at the end of the day, what you want to do is provide a guide for those people writing your letter of rec. So to give you an example, I did not go to a school like yours. I went to a public school system. And so what I did to prepare them, because my counselors were not giving them my personal statements or my resumes, I put together a folder that had my personal statement, as you mentioned, my resume, all the activities I was involved with, that were not that were in addition to my resume. I also added the extra essays. So do you remember when it's like, tell us why you want to go to Michigan, right? Like there's an additional piece. So I basically gave them all of that. And then I also prepared for them a one pager that said, here are the five things I want you to talk about. I want you to make sure you talk about my involvement in your class, my leadership, I want you to talk about how I was leading the Hispanic society. And so that way, I was able to support them in their journey. And I was able to essentially make their work easier, right? And what that allowed me to do is also control every one of the stories, right? So that way, if somebody was going to talk about my leadership, right, I wanted somebody else to talk about my volunteering. And I wanted somebody else to talk about my growth. And so that way, it was many different angles of who I am. And they weren't all repetitive and the same. That's very interesting. I, I feel like having different points of view of how we apply to college is a right example for incoming freshmen, incoming college students. If you ever want to go to graduate school, you're still going to have to ask for letters of recommendation. And the better you have relationships with people, the more they can speak to you. So let's actually go there. How did you make relationships that were meaningful and genuine so that they could actually write great letters for you? I got involved in extracurricular activities. I was part of the JV basketball team. I was part of the varsity cross country, varsity track. I actually did volunteer hours for a STEM night with my Spanish teachers. I also was very active in my classes. I like to participate. I will answer any questions they will have. And I was always ready to go to class to take my exams. And that's actually what got me to make that connections that now gave me the opportunity to be here in college. That is awesome. I love what you're saying, Sofia, because what you are describing is is just essentially showing up, 
right? Showing up and being prepared, making sure that you're on time to classes. That way they could always talk about how you were on time, making sure you were taking notes, studying. So just demonstrating all around that you were a good student and that you were devoted to your studies is I think what you're saying. And then the other part that you said was not only doing it for yourself, but also helping your peers. So they could talk about, oh, Sophia really cares about helping other people. And obviously it should be stated that you should do this because you actually care and it's the right thing to do, right? Not because you want an amazing letter of rec. The amazing letter of rec is just a result of all the good things that you've done because you truly believe in in what you're doing, right? Yes, you have to be yourself. Don't try to be anyone else because at the end of the day in college, it's the way to really be yourself. Like you you don't need to try to be someone that you don't really are because it shows when you are trying. Absolutely, absolutely. And then after you got the letters, were you able to read them? Did they give you the opportunity to read them? Unfortunately, no. But I believe, I think they wrote the best things about myself because I got accepted to multiple universities and one of the best ones in the U.S., So it's totally okay if you wanted to, to go back, if you have that close of a relationship with them, to ask for the letters of recommendation, because maybe you could use them for other things like internships. You know, you're, you're about to start college, just your freshman year. And so I actually do ask if it's okay with them. I ask, would it be okay after they submit it, obviously, right? Would it be okay if I had a copy of it? Now, some people might be a little put off by it. The people that do send them. I put them in a special folder and I use them for a couple of things, Sophia. When I am even like having not such a great day, I like go back and open them and I say, oh, I am great. I am good. I can do this because college is really hard, right? And so sometimes we just need that little boost of morale, if you will, to say like, oh yeah, like somebody else thinks I'm great. I can do this. Yes. Thank you for telling me that. I am actually planning on doing internships. So As you said, I think that's really helpful and I will ask them for my letters of recommendation because I feel like it's going to help me to accomplish new things in college. And then what was the follow up? Uh, Did you write a thank you card? How did you make sure that they knew that that you were very grateful for them taking extra time out of their day to do this? I am a person who likes to thank the people in person. So I had like a conversation with them after that. So yeah, that's how I showed that I really cared and I was very excited and very thankful for their help in my college journey. Amazing. I think that that is one step, right? I think the the next, if you wanted to go the extra step is I usually keep stationary, right? And I write thank you cards, like in a pencil and paper. And I think that oftentimes we forget the power of just writing a letter because we're so tech and, you know, it's, it's easy to just send a thank you email or a thank you text. But that power of taking that time out of your day as well, right? And really saying, hey, thank you. This is what it meant to me. It just shows gratitude. And I bet you 
that sometimes when they're also not having such great days, I bet you they also go back and look at it and say, it is, it's okay that it's midnight and I'm still working because at the end of the day, the students are so thankful. So it's great to do the in-person. And if you wanted to go that extra step, you could do the in-person followed by a thank you, you know, a written thank you just to let them know how appreciated they are. Yes. Also, I think one of the best ways to oh, tell them that you really cared is that you stay connected with them. Even if you're no longer in high school, in college, you can still text them. You can still email them and talk with them. Absolutely. Because I, I have mentored many students throughout my life, Sofia, and the best text messages are those that I get randomly, right? And they just light up my day. They're like, Miss Torres, I've done really well. Like, I just finished my first exam in college. I think I did amazing, you know, or like, I have this internship at like the White House or and I'm just like, this is cool. Like, because it makes me feel like I have played a very small part in their whole journey, right? Like, obviously, there's so many variables that are moving all the time. But for those people that you are keeping in touch with, you have no idea the magnitude of and the impact of you sending that one text message, right? Especially because you don't know how their day is going. Yes. Sometimes they did also like give me that motivation and that happiness. So why not do it to them back? Absolutely. So as you are going on to college, it is your freshman year now. And as I mentioned, some internships are will ask you for letters of reg jobs might ask you for letters of reg. Definitely, if you're going to apply to graduate school, they'll ask you for letters of reg. So tell our audience, very preliminary, what is your game plan to build those relationships so that whenever you're ready to ask for a letter of reg, you have more connections continuing on through college, right? Because your high school connections are one phase of your life, but now you've just entered another phase of your life. As a Latina, I would like to get involved in, in different Latino organizations because Michigan State is a white predominantly university. So there's not much of Latino students But for me, my goal is to work for Univision. Getting involved in these Latino organizations will give me that opportunity, but also having that connections with uh, my professors, cafeteria staff, or people that care about the progress of their loved ones, of their students, will be the perfect match for those letters of recommendations for future jobs, for future internships? Yes. Yeah, so to give you my perspective, so when I was in college, I did very similar to you. I got involved with the Hispanic Association. I became president. Our sponsor, his name's David Medina. He wrote me many, many letters of recommendation in my career. I would probably say he wrote me, I don't know, maybe 15 letters of recommendations throughout for internships, for jobs, for grad, for graduate school. And the, the funny thing is, is that David and I are now friends because it's been such a long time since I graduated from college, right? So, you know, like he comes over to the house and we have coffee and we talk. So those relationships are no, not just very transactional, right? Are not just, can you write me a letter? I'm going to write you a thank you card. No, no. They are relationships that you build for the rest of your life and they are lifelong mentors. And so, and I think that that is what you are saying, right? It's not so much of, I am seeking a letter. 
I think what you're saying is you are seeking relationships that obviously people can speak on your behalf, but at the end of the day is the relationship that counts. And it's that personal one-on-one with the other individual. Absolutely. My goal is not only to ask for help. My goal is to stay connected, to make friends, to be friends with my professors, with people in different areas in college. And the other piece that you mentioned that I really like was cafeteria workers, right? Like oftentimes people just feel like, oh, it's the professors that matter. But in reality, it's everybody that matters in that university. Everybody's a human. And when I did my graduate program at Harvard, I actually saw the cafeteria workers like a sec- like second parents away from home, right? Because it was very lonely. It was very far. And so, you know, oftentimes they would like make me enchiladas on the side. And I was like, yes, thank you. I, you know, I couldn't have done this myself. So I think what you are speaking about is creating a community of support a support system that will help you graduate and land your dream career. Yes, I feel like the cafeteria uh, staff is one of the nicest people in school. I remember high school and they were, oh oh my God, I I don't even have words to explain it, but I love them. Well, good, Sofia. Well, I wish you the best of luck. Please keep us updated on your progress and do an amazing job your freshman year. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that you chose me to be here. I am really excited for everything that's next. And I wish you the best in everything you do. Next, we will move on to our post-college phase with Eric Diaz, a good friend of mine who has dedicated a lot of his time with an organization to help first gens get admitted to graduate schools. Hi, Eric. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Hi, Norma. I'm doing well. How are you? Good. We're super excited to have you on. Uh, Please tell the audience a bit about yourself. So hi, everyone. My name is Eric Diaz. I'm the the founder of Elevate First Gen. It's a social enterprise helping first-generation students apply to grad school. I am a first-generation student myself. I went to the University of San Diego for undergrad, majoring in international relations. And I recently completed a master's in public policy degree at the Harvard Kennedy School and then also a master's in urban planning at the Graduate School of Design, also at Harvard. Well, congrats, Eric, on all your success. Um, Let's backtrack here for a second. And why don't you tell us a bit about how you first learned that you were a first-generation college student? Sure thing. I actually can't quite put my finger on it. It must have been sometime in college. And I was at the University of San Diego. I must have heard the term at one of the you know local organizations that were that, um, at one of the meetings with some support services, and that's when I really understood that my journey was slightly different than most of my peers. And so I wasn't into you know I was probably like nineteen or twenty in college when I learned I was first gen. So you didn't write um, your essays or your letters of reg anywhere in there. Did you ever refer to being a first generation college student? I never used those words in particular. I probably talked about experiences of not having access to college or not having or having access to folks who had been in, had been to college or had gone through the process, but I never used the term first gen. I didn't know it was an actual term probably until I was in college. And that makes sense. A lot of our first gen students that are on the show and that listen to us share that similar experience. They didn't 
quite know what the terminology was, but they knew that their experiences were a bit different. Um, so how are your experience a bit different than most of your peers? Tell us a bit about your family, uh, what your parents do, if you have any siblings. Sure, absolutely. So just for context, I grew up in Southern California in the city of San Diego. My family is from um, Guadalajara, Mexico. And so they weren't able to, being in Mexico, having immigrated to the United States when they were young, they didn't have the opportunity to, to study, to do a lot of things. And so my, my mom is a housekeeper and my dad is a works in a variety of roles. He works in construction, he works in restaurants, he works in, now he works at a factory. Um, and so obviously the one, there was a language barrier, but also there was the just access of information of get to college, how to navigate through college. I, did ha- I do have an older brother who's about four years older. And he went to also, well, he was born in Mexico, but grew up in San Diego. And he went to college. And so I think that there was some avenue of what was possible because of that, right? He had gone through the process, although we were just in that kind of generational age difference where he's four years older, we were never in the same school. So that kind of like transfer of information wasn't always there. But I think that that kind of summarizes my experience of having to figure things out either on my own or getting having mentors guide me through the process, um, which was very different from, from my peers who were at the University of San Diego, which is a private school. A lot of you know people who who's are the sons and daughters, children of CEOs, of lawyers, of, of things like that. So in, in that sense, it was just my experience to the university and through this university was very different from, from most of the folks who I went to school with. So do you remember at what point it kind of clicked that you were going to go to college? Were you in high school when like you had a college counselor approach to and say, hey, you show signals that you might want to try this out? Or was it instilled in you from a very young age from your parents that this is what the American dream was? I think it's a combination of both. But I would say that I went to I went to public charter school in San Diego. It was not my neighborhood school, but I got, you know, I got lottered into a, a charter school. And at that point, I was tracked into one of the, into the AP Honors program. And everyone in that program had parents who had gone to college. So everyone from ninth grade to 12th grade, that was my environment. That was my assumption, mainly because all my peers, all my classmates at that age were going to college and everybody was taking the steps and the classes were designed to help students navigate the college application process. So I, I think that just being involved in that uh, in that class, in that curriculum really benefited me. Today's episode, as you know, we're going to talk about letters of rec. So I, I am interested to be able to compare and contrast your experience with Sophia, our first guest on this episode. She went to a charter school and they basically told her, here's who you will be receiving letters of rec. Did you have the same experience in when you were in high school applying to college or did you have the freedom to say, here's who I want my letters of rec from? Well, I, I had the freedom. I'm actually quite surprised to hear that, that a school would say, here, these are the folks who are writing you letters of recommendation. But I had the complete freedom of choosing. But with that being said, I don't think I had the, I didn't have the mindset or I didn't have the understanding of what letter, letters of rec are supposed to do. And so my choices weren't, weren't the best. I think that that's one of the things I I've, can reflect back on and, and know that. I, the application could have been, could, my application could be stronger. My application could have been different. Um, at the end of the day, I, you know, I've, I've done relatively well. We're all good, but it's it's an important thing to keep in mind as to what what letters your recommendation are for, what purpose they serve, and who are the best folks who who are able to write those letters. 
Yeah, so let's go there. So now knowing what you know today and knowing that you also help a lot of first-gen supply to graduate schools, first of all, what, what is the purpose of the letter of rec? And do you think it is a different purpose when you're applying to college than when you're applying to graduate school? Generally, the purpose is the same. And, but really, I feel like the, what most people, or when I was applying to college and even when I, was, when I started applying to grad school, the purpose I thought was just to corroborate my story, right? I'm, I'm writing about, in, in, when I was applying to grad school, I'm writing about really caring about affordable housing and really caring about cert, certain issues. And I just need to get people who, who know me relatively well, who can say, yes, Eric cares about these things. Eric has done, uh, you know, X, Y, and Z, and he, he's done it relatively well, period. Um, and that's kind of how I approach my high school to college literature rec. And, uh, you know, one of the big opportunities that letters rec offer is that they're, that the author is able to write more, more about you. They're able to provide more context about who you are as a person. They're able to provide um, more information as to, that adds value to you as an applicant, right? And so maybe to take a step back when you're applying to undergrad or when you're applying to grad school, and, you know, this happened, this comes up every time I'm, I'm working with a client. There's an essay, right? There's an essay component, and you're likely going to have somewhere between 750 to maybe like 1,200 words to make a case for why you're applying to school and why you're applying to this program, why you're applying now, um, how is this program going to benefit you, what skills you're going to learn, etc. But there's only so many things that you can write about, right? You have 1,000 words, 1,200 words. Your, your essays have to be very succinct. That'd be very direct. And, there, and you may have a million different things that you've done that have led you to this moment, but you're not able to write about them. And the really important thing that I tell, tell the people that I work with is that recommenders, those who are writing your letters, they're able to fill that gap. They're able to take the stories that you weren't able to include in your personal statements, and they're able to write about them. And that's really the benefit and what I consider the purpose or you know, an opportunity that the letters direct presents. So in another words here, and just to potentially summarize, they are supposed to provide an additional perspective into the story that you are telling the admissions officer, right, for both undergraduate and graduate school. Because of the limited amount of words in your personal statement, it is someone's additional point of view that they, they can collaborate and, and even add with to what you've you said. Absolutely. They can add to what you're saying, right? And they're generally not limited by any word count. Although, we, you know, you don't want them to be writing five or 10 pages, you know, letters or recommendation, but they don't have a, they're not limited and they're able to add to your narrative. They're able to talk about uh, experiences. And so maybe let me give you an example. I think that that might be a little bit more helpful for listeners. So oftentimes when you're applying to grad school, you're going to, you're going to need, you're going to want uh, an academic reference, someone, a professor who has taught you in a class, um, someone who can speak to your abilities in the classroom, but that's should be the bare minimum that they're, that they're talking about. So for instance, when I was an undergrad, I took a class, I actually took two classes with one professor, the only professor who I had more than one class with. Um, she was my, she was a history, she was a history professor, so nothing to do with urban planning, nothing to do, or you know, not directly tied to my, my area of interest in public policy and, and why I was applying to those schools. But I had done well in her classes, I got an A's in both. So she was able to say, Eric, you know, is, is well-prepared for class, Eric got an A, Eric is a good writer, Eric can do research, right? But that is the bare minimum that she was writing about. I, when I asked her to write my letter recommendation, I also said I was very involved on campus. I, you know, I, I was the president of a Students for Sustainability Club on campus. I was a member of, you know, three or four organizations, held leadership positions in them. I want you to, 
include and I asked her, like, can you include this narrative? That can you include these storylines that, you know, from my perspective, I couldn't include because there was no space in my personal statements. I couldn't talk about those like leadership components. I couldn't talk about campus involvement. I couldn't talk about, um, you know, student engagement broadly. And so I asked her to do it for me. I said, you know, in addition to your class, I did all these things. I would, you know, I would appreciate it if you wrote about that. There's also, you know, one thing that I often see is that first-gen students in particular, because of the transition going to college, the first the first semester grades are generally the, the lowest. Certain, that was certainly true for me. My first semester in college was, was the lowest because it was difficult to transition. You know, people often have to work full-time while they're doing it. They have family crises. They have a lot of different things why their why their first semester grades are generally lower and you know as time goes on grades generally go up generally it's upward trajectory unless like there you know something you know a crisis happens and that's something that the professor can also talk about they don't necessarily have to be the the person who is guiding you through that although if they're the person who's guiding you through you know academic instability or who's the you know it's a uh, uh, academic advisor for the clubs that you're participating even better but they can also talk about these other aspects of you as a person and so i think that that's that's part of the narrative or that's part of the that's a major theme that i want folks to take away is that they can add they should be adding to you to your narrative they should be adding value to your application that makes total sense but but i think the very basic foundation which i which you mentioned at the beginning is I think, and correct me here, regardless of what grad school and even in undergrad, when you're applying to college, you definitely should have a professor who can vouch for your academic performance, right? Because oftentimes what they, what the college admission officers see or the grad admission officers see is just the grade, but they don't see the story behind the grade, right? And I, and, and I think it is, it is so important Again, regardless of what grad school, whether it's law school, business school, public policy school, you want somebody to say, this student was able to do X, Y, C academically. And then on top of that, here's all the extra color of what the student was able to do on the side while keeping up the high grades. Absolutely. I think that that's spot on. And is there a, a graduate program, given what you've seen, where it wouldn't make sense to have a professor write a letter of rec for you? Well, the thing that I would say, maybe to take a big step back, is that ev- there's no formula for any of this, right? It's it's really dependent on who you are as an applicant and, so, and what programs you're applying to. And so to answer your question directly of, is there a time when a professor shouldn't be the person writing you a letter, um, it's... Likely that when we've gone down that route with some of our clients, they're likely older, right? They're maybe mid-30s who are applying to, to uh, mid-career programs. And, they, and so they finished undergrad 15, 20 years ago. And they, you know, their professors have retired. They, one, they didn't, keep, you know, they didn't keep in touch with their professors. And so at that point, it doesn't make sense for, it doesn't make too much sense for a professor that they had a class with to write them a letter of recommendation. There are other people to talk about, perhaps, we, you know, I think the way that I would position that is think about what skills do we want to show and therefore find the folks who are, who are, who are best able to talk about those skills in, in, in a more recent venue. Because a lot of things happen, right, between, between when you graduate, if you're graduating in your early 20s and you're in your mid-30s. And so I think that those are the, that, that may be a time when a professor may not be the best person to, to write you a letter of recommendation. That totally makes sense. And I love the way you're positioning that because 
at the end of the day, whenever you're applying to college or graduate school, you are trying to tell a cohesive story, right? And, and I think all the pieces have to come together and they come together differently. So like you just said, what skills are you trying to show that A, you might have mentioned in your essay that you have, but you didn't have a lot of time to add the context? Um, or two, maybe because there was some type of grade explanation that needs to go with your with your portfolio, then that might be another reason. But I, I think at the end of the day is what story are you trying to tell? And then what role does the letter play within that story? Absolutely. And that's that that's exactly what I, you know, I'm try, I try to convey is that it's really you should really be thinking about your personal narrative, how you're pitching yourself to the schools what story and what examples are going to make the best sense for your for your application as a whole, and then identify the letters recommendation who with certain things in mind, right? If you're if you're recently from undergrad, you're likely gonna you're more likely gonna want to want at least one professor to be writing you a letter. Um, if you've been out of school for a longer period of time, you're likely gonna want, you know, either supervisors, senior management, uh, et cetera, for those folks who have been around and who have daily communications with those folks. Right. And if you're applying to certain other schools, you may want to show people you might you may want to ask people who can write about leadership experiences outside of work. And so but it's all about how you're pitching yourself and how these letters can complement that narrative. And again, you want every piece of your application and especially letters rec to be adding something of value to your application um, and to not be redundant. So one thing I would encourage people to do is, you know, avoid letters from the same company if you've worked in a place for you know for a number of years if you get a letter recommendation from your direct supervisor who you worked with for you know for two years and then another direct supervisor but it's all in the same role they're likely going to say the ex- same similar things right they're going to say eric was good at doing his job was you know managed meetings managed budgets etc but you're likely going to be missing or creating redundancy where they're going to be saying something similar. And and that's really a missed opportunity or that can be a missed opportunity because you could choose someone who's different or who's very different from that, who knows you in a very different context. And that can add a different, a different version or a different view of who you are as an applicant to your application. So let's go down that route. So right now we've talked a lot about the who you ask. Let's talk a little bit about how you prepare them to write that letter of rec. So when I was applying to grad school both times, I would prepare folders for my recommenders where essentially I would include my personal statement. I would include the extra essays that I had written. I would include a list of who else was writing me a letter of rec. And then I also would include points, salient points that I wanted them to make. Um, how do you prepare your clients to make sure that the ask is a good ask, number one, and then number two, that the recommenders have the equipment to be able to execute well? I think you've you summarized it perfectly, Norma. Um, I think that one of, the, one of the main things I, I tell folks is we can spend as much time brainstorming what our, what our narrative is, how these recommenders are going to add value to our application. But if you don't share that with them, if we don't tell them, this is why we, you know, this is why I've chosen you, or this is what I think you can share, why your recommendation is going to add value to my application, then they don't know why they've been chosen and they may not know how to add value to your application, 
right? Um, so I think, and the, the other point is that recommenders are also people. And as people, we have a million things going on. You know, they may have to write a bunch of other letter recommendation and they're busy. So we want to make their job as easy as possible. So to, I, I think I'm going to say very similar things that way you just shared, Norma, in your process. I start with a cover letter sharing, I'm applying to the school. And this is all, so this is all after they've agreed to writing you a letter, right? And so one, the cover letter, just summarizing, thank you so much for, for your time. I really appreciate you writing a letter for me. And then, you know, a couple of salient points that you want them to include. Giving them examples, because while you may know I'm choosing my direct supervisor because I manage this big project, manage the budget, manage people, all this stuff, that may not be the top of her mind when she's writing your letter. So you want to remind her like, oh, here's an example that you can use for management. Here's an example you can use for research. Here's an example you can use for whatever. They may have better examples. They may have other examples and they may not use your example, but you're at least providing them with some nudges in the direction that you want them to go to. The second thing I do is provide them a table that shows, that makes a list of all the schools I'm applying to, their due dates and how to submit the letter right? Um, it's basic project management. It's a basic project management tool. You don't want them to be like, oh, I for, you know, forgetting the deadlines or not knowing some schools, some clients, you know, are applying to eight, nine programs and they all have different deadlines. They all, they all need to be uploaded to different portals. And it's from a project management standpoint, it's a little bit annoying for the recommender to have to keep track. So I try to make that as easy as possible for them. Include your resumes, include per draft personal statements, and I think that that's and and I think that that's essentially the packet that we provide our recommenders for when they've agreed to say yes. The other thing that's important is to just nudge accordingly, right? So we I encourage my, the folks that I'm working with to ask the recommenders, you know, two to three months, if if not longer. It depends on the the, the timing for the ask really depends on who you're asking, professors often get asked a lot to write letters of recommendation. So you want to get them as early as possible once you know that they're your person. But you need to be careful for something like if you're asking your boss for a letter of recommendation, that also means that you're probably going to leave the company once you've been accepted or if you are accepted. And so that's always a delicate dance that you that you have to navigate around. So you may, you may want to give them a month or you may want to give them more time. Uh, you want to give them always enough time to write a letter and to write a good one but you don't want to give them too much of a time where where it becomes a bit uncomfortable because you're signaling that you're leaving. I think the last point is so important and it's one it's a dance I've had to do twice um, because I've gone to two graduate programs and I would highly recommend to our listeners that before you send an email to your current boss saying would you write me this letter that you actually sit with them and have a cup of coffee and say I am thinking about this. Um, this is sort of what, how I think this would add value to my career. And this is, and, and if you do, obviously, if you have plans of coming back, that's even better, right? If you don't, that's okay. You don't have to mention it. But I would highly, highly encourage people to have this conversation, even on the phone. And, and I would even say to anyone that you're asking a letter from before you just send a cold email and say, I am doing this, this and this. Um, so to give you an example, I, I had someone very important at Harvard write me a letter of rec. And before I even sent her an email, I called her on the phone and I said, 
hi, I'm thinking about this. I would love to hear your advice on it. And I think this does two things. One, now they feel part of your journey. So you you create stakeholder involvement, right? And then two, you know that it's coming. And so I know that that email is really easy for people, but that is something that, that I think is a best practice and that people are more likely to say, yes, I'm willing to do this. Um, as opposed to just send a cold email, especially your boss, because as you mentioned, that is a very, very sensitive dance that you have to maneuver around. Yeah. And that stakeholder involvement thing is, is key, right? You The more that you can make them feel like they're part of your team rather than a tool to get into a program, I think the better. And those phone calls, those coffee chats before you make a formal ask is is a great strategy to just get their sense as to how they're thinking, how what they think of you applying to grad school, and then to get a sense as to how open they are to writing letters. Absolutely. And you were getting on this, I think you were going on this journey of nudging. So the first is obviously the ask. Um, how do you recommend that people then send a reminder? Because as you mentioned, we're all busy. Um, when do you recommend that your clients send reminders every month or even the week before it's due? Or, or what's the best practice there? Again, there's no formula for this, right? And so I think that the one thing that we found useful was to ask if you're if you've sent out the request three months in advance, two months in advance, um, then you can ask, you know, every three weeks. And the three weeks, it doesn't mean like, hey, th- this doesn't mean you send an email or you call them and say, hey, have you done this yet? It's, hi, I'm checking in. Is there anything else that you need from me? Or can we schedule 15 minutes to chat with you about? About my application and how I how else I can help you to in order to to make sure that the, the thing gets written and gets written well. And so it's it's always positioning a way of one trying to thanking them, but then also asking how can I help you. And more than likely they're gonna say, we're good, I think I'm fine, or maybe yes, let's you know let's get 15 minutes on the calendar to, to be able to chat about the letter. But at the very least you're reminding them that it's a thing that they have to do. And again I go back to this recommenders are people too, as high up as people may be, but even those who are high up are probably busier, but people, we have a lot of things going on. And so it's, it's, you know, some writing a letter recommendation for someone we care about is obviously important, but if we have three months to do it, people are probably going to take, you know, write it in the last three weeks, two weeks. And so you want to just make sure that you're there, offering yourself there as a resource, you're establishing that communication so that if you notice that a week, there's a week left and they haven't submitted, you've already established that kind of communication where you're able to reach out again and say, you know, last week, is there anything else I can do? Do you need anything else for me, etc. Um, and so I think that that's what I've encouraged the people I work with to do. And they've seen positive results from that. Of course, all, I mean, always being friendly, thankful, and asking if what else we could do for them. So have you ever had an instance where someone says that they would write you a letter and then a week comes, a day before, and they haven't submitted your letter, what do you recommend at that point you do scenario one? And then scenario two, what happens if the deadline passed and they didn't submit the letter? What do you do then? So maybe to take a step back, right? When we're brainstorming who our letters of rec should be, maybe the law school says you need three letters of rec or you need two letters of rec. But even if they give you a number, I would plan on identifying five people, right? Or six people who can fill in should any of those recommenders not be able to do so because people have emergencies, people forget, et cetera, people go dark. It doesn't happen too often, thankfully, but it does happen from time to time. So one, have 
I generally have, have people have five folks who can write them a letter of recommendation and, and have the top three and an alternate one and alternate two. If so, again, you're checking in with a professor, checking in with your recommender every two to three weeks, they're responding, they're not responding. Assuming that someone, you know, in this scenario, the person just hasn't responded at all. If there's two weeks to go and you've reached out to the professor over multiple instances and they haven't responded, then probably you would have gone into a little bit of a, you know, red flag situation or yellow flag situation probably a month before the deadline. So at that point, you can, I would encourage you to probably reach out to alternate one or alternate two and begin that process with them as well and say, this is, and explain to them, this is a situation. I'm applying to this program, you know, appreciate you writing a letter of recommendation for me, but this, and this is a scenario. I have one person who hasn't responded, but I think that your, you know, your perspective can really add value to my application. And so I would start troubleshooting, not a week before, but, you know, three weeks before and trying to get someone lined up. But let's say the application is due tomorrow and the scenario that you played out was, is, is what happened. The person didn't write their letter. I would, one, email them, call them, I try to get their get the recommender's attention as soon as possible, ask them to submit the letter as soon as possible. Um, schools are strict about when you submit your document documents, but they will also be relatively lenient on letters of recommendation because they understand that you can't control the other folks' time. So I know that I've, I've got, had clients where, where, this, where a similar situation has happened and the school has just said, just get it in immediately. Um, and then things should be fine. And luckily things have worked out. Um, so I think that that's, that's where I would be. Part of the nudging process is to identify if there's any probability a recommender going dark on you. And so that's that's also one of the purposes of that. And I think at the end of the day, I would always encourage students to ask from people that they trust and people that they know they that they will deliver, right? So if I if there was somebody that was very important but I knew that they were really busy, I would actually rather have a a letter from someone that like I knew could deliver. I knew that they were going to say the things that that I wanted them to say to add to the piece of the puzzle. And so I, I think at the end of the day, it comes to that trust and that relationship you have with the people that you're asking. So we talked a little bit about the who, the how. So then let's say everything goes well and let's say they submit. What do you recommend your clients to do? Obviously, write a thank you card, but it's it's not an obvious one, as I've seen for many people. So do you give them guidance on here's how a professional graduate student goes about saying thanks and ensuring that they keep the relationship going? You know, the, the basic is writing a thank you card, thank you letter, thank you email, um, preferably something a little bit more. Email sometimes comes off a little bit cold. So writing something that, that shows that you care and that you appreciate what they've done for you. You know, you want to, they're a part of your team, essentially, right? So you want to keep that connection. You want to make sure that they're open for opportunities later on, make sure that and allow them, you know, kind of to pay them back. And, and so you really want to create that sense of, of connection. So I think that I've encouraged, I've only encouraged my folks to do a thank you card. I've asked them to, you know, grab coffee with them, thank them through the application. And I think the really key thing is when you hear that those acceptances, you tell them, right? <laughs> Be excited and share the good news with the folks who helped you get there. I think that's the one thing that I've seen a lot where, I, in, in, you know, including myself, I've written letters 
for some folks and they got it in and then they've known for like three weeks and they've just never told me. And it's like, oh, like I was here, part of your team and and I didn't know. So I think that that's, that's a really key thing, making sure that you share the successes with them. Oh, absolutely. Because we want to hear for, about it, right? Like same here. Yeah. I've written so many letters and then I hear from somebody else and it just, it makes me feel a little bit detached or like, hey, I, you know, it would have been great to know so we could have celebrated it together. So Definitely. That's such a big one. Is there anything, Eric, that we did not discuss about letters of rec that you think is very important for our listeners to do or know? I think we've covered a lot of it. And I think the main things are right brainstorming, understand your pitch, understand how letter, how folks can add and complement your application. And then two, the management process is also very important, if not more important. It's, it's really this management process of informing them, informing them of your of your narrative, of how you're pitching yourself and and how they can add value to your application. And so I think that those are the two key things. And again, there's no there's no formula, there's no right answer, right? It's really about your own personal story and it's about the schools that you're applying to and the skills that you're bringing. Absolutely. During this interview, you discussed a little bit about your clients. So I just want to wrap up here, um, hearing a little bit about Elevate First Gen, what y'all do, how people can find you if they're interested in any of your services or what you provide. Sure. Uh, thank you for the opportunity. So people can find us at elevatefirstgen.com. Uh, we're a social enterprise focused on helping first gen students apply to grad school. And we really started because, you know, I was in grad school for three years and there weren't many first gen students at Harvard. Um, there's more now, but there weren't there weren't too many when when I was there. And uh, we felt that this was a need. And so we we do a number of things. One, we do individual coaching. Um, so if you have, you know, if you have questions on your application, if you need some guidance, we do that. We also do peer coaching. So we have a cohort a group learning model or where we're able to, to work with folks um, in groups and cohorts, as we call them, and walk them through each stage of the application. And then we also have workshops that are that you can find on all, all that information on our website, where we talk about, one, we have a workshop on letter recommendation, we have a workshop on how to frame essays, we have workshops on all the other written components of the application. Perfect. And so that is elevatefirstgen.com, correct? Correct. Well, Eric, you have been so generous with your time and knowledge. We wish you the best of luck with all your endeavors. And we hope you get some of our first gens to come on over so that you and your team can support their first gen dreams. Uh, We thank you so, so much. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Norma. Well, that's it, folks. Thank you so much for joining us today. On today's episode, you learned that letters of recommendation are a very important part of the admissions process. Here, you will be able to demonstrate another aspect of who you are. Like our guest described today, it is an addition to your personal statement. We discussed on how to strategize on who to ask. We also talked about how to prepare your recommenders to set them up for success. We talked about how to nudge them so that they get the job done, but also, and most importantly, how to ensure that they always feel like they are part of your team in this process. Don't forget to let them know when you are admitted so you all can celebrate together, and don't forget to keep up with them as they are now part of your journey. In next week's episode, Cody will take us through the personal statement. Stay tuned, and I hope you all have a wonderful week.